The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. I am your host, Colin Dinoon, attorney at law, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Leonardo Torres. Good afternoon to you, Leonardo. Good afternoon, Colin. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. It's always good to be in the land of the living, in spite of all these different challenges, you know. I'm still here and pressing on. How is everything with you? Well, not bad at all. I'm very, very happy to be on our second episode, man. It's good stuff. Well, there were rave reviews from the first one, so we hope this one will be just as exciting. The topic we're going to be looking at today is preparing a will and obtaining probate. Now, preparing a will is something that we all need to do, irrespective of whether we have a lot of assets or we are now starting out in life. However, many persons tend to procrastinate and put off uh, preparing a will for many times based upon the fear of not wanting to think about death. It is also important to know about the process of obtaining probate in instances where someone who would have prepared a will would have departed this life and is no longer with us. Now to provide us with some perspective on this, we have our esteemed guest today, who is none other than Mrs. Alia Kedar, attorney at law. Just to tell you a bit about Mrs. Kedar, she's an attorney at law and member of the Law Association since 2019. She currently works at Pinnacle Chambers, located in Point Fortin, and she practices in the areas of family law, criminal law, contract law, and probate. Good day to you, Mrs. Kidar, and welcome to The Legal Corner. Good day, Mr. Dinoon. Good day, Mr. Torres. Thank you for having me on your program this afternoon. Our pleasure. How are you doing today, Mrs. Kidar? I'm fine, thank you, and hope all is well with you. Things are excellent, and it's even better that you are here with us today. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Mrs. Kedar, what, what is a will? What would you, how would you de- define a will? Well, a will is a legal document in which an individual states how their assets and property will be distributed upon their debt. Okay, so in the- more common terms, it is a document which lays out their wishes upon their debt. Is this something that needs to be in writing? Yes, most definitely. Um, the Wills and Probate Act in Trinidad and Tobago clearly states that a will must be in writing. Okay, interesting. So someone cannot just verbally say what they would like to, to be done with their property. It must be put into writing. Yes, it must be put into writing because um, if it's done verbally, there's no evidence that this was actually said. Of course. So let me jump in here, Ms. Kedar. Um, so we're talking about wills today. Does a person necessarily, and I know, we know you're an attorney, does a person need an attorney to make a will? Well, a person does not obviously need an attorney to make a will per se. But if they were to do it on their own, they must understand the formalities and statutory requirements 
which must be adhered to in order for the will to be valid. They must also be able to express their wishes with sufficient clarity to ensure that what is written on the document accurately describes their intention. All right. So, so therefore, can we talk now about what are some of the preparatory steps uh, one should take if they are desirous of uh, making a will? Well, a person who is who will be making a will um, is called the testator, right? And this person right. would have to consider several things before making a will. So, um, most importantly, would be planning, right? And planning would include considering and deciding who are the persons you would include in the will for several, several um, um, holding several spaces. Example, who would the testator um, choose to be an appropriate executor and who exactly and how exactly would he prefer um, the assets to be shared. So when choosing an appropriate executor, the testator should consider things as you know, the trustworthiness of the executor, um, potential executor, uh, the age of the potential executor, and for beneficiaries, they should also consider whether these are the persons that they are sure they want to um, inherit their assets. Also, take the time to gather their documents um, as to what property or assets they may have. Example, deeds or insurances. All right. Thank you for that. Also, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Kidar, there are some certain things that persons may not consider to be assets or they may want to leave it out of their will. So, for example, their vehicles, all right, uh, if they, are, they own any shares or also if they may stand to benefit from property. So, I may not have property now, but if my loved one passes away, it's something that I stand to benefit from. You know, and, and those things are also can be included in our will. Yes, most definitely. Um, a lot of persons may not be aware that um shares or, or vehicles or even um things they own, such as jewelry, should be included in our will. And that is something an attorney should advise a potential testator or client of. All right. So, so that talks about some of the, the, the statutory requirements in terms of um, the age. And I'm glad that you were able to point out that um, it is important to get that, that legal advice and guidance since there are many types of assets that persons don't take into consideration. And you would, of course, some good examples there. You know, a lot of Trinidadians, they love their jewelry and things like that. So I, I was glad you were able to point out that for us. Um, question though, can a person give verbal instructions that contradicts the will? No, a person, before the death of the person, um, if they were to say something that contradicts the will, it would have no effect on um, changing right. the contents of the will unless they were to make, unless they were to make um, such changes in writing. So, so to, just to make it pollutedly clear, the will... Really, the only thing that supersedes a will is basically another will that would have been done after that first one. There's nothing, anything about any verbal instructions, nothing to that sort, right? No. All right. Thanks for that. All right, Mrs. Kinnar, I just wanted us to go into a bit more detail in terms of the, the statutory requirements for the execution of a will, because 
you would have already highlighted to us that the will must be in writing. But does the law have anything to say about the manner in which a will can can be executed or should be executed in order to be um, to be valid? Yes, um, the will should be executed in accordance with the Wills and Probate Act, particularly Section 42, and it could be broken down in several parts. So, firstly, uh, the will must be in writing, which we discussed already, and the will should be signed at the foot or at the end of the document by the testator. If the testator is unable to do so, he or she can direct someone else to sign on his or her behalf in their presence. And this signature must be done in the presence of two or more witnesses. Or when I say signature, it can be the actual signature of the testator or a stamp or initials but anything that the testator intends to be the signature, any mark that he intends to be his signature would be considered such, right? For the witnesses, the witnesses must be present at the same time the testator signs, and the the witnesses must sign also at the bottom in the presence of the testator and each other. The witnesses must have the mental capacity to understand the document they are signing to. Okay, thank you so much for that. So you see, yeah, even though someone may not necessarily need an attorney to prepare a will, um, it is highly advised because there are certain statutory formalities that need to be uh, complied with, particularly with respect to the execution of, of the will. So that is where and a lot, an a lot of um, would, um, would come in. Yes, layman might not be able to understand or may misunderstand the wording of the the act or the law and may miss certain things when executing the will and therefore making it invalid. Right. Of course. Thank you so much for that, Mrs. Kidder. All right. So it's an interesting thing sometimes that comes up with these wills and if people are able to benefit and stuff like that. Um, But what would you say would make someone ineligible or, or fail to benefit under a will? Okay, so there are several reasons why a beneficiary may fail to take the benefit of the gift, right? Um, I will just state a few for the purposes of today. So um, number one is what we call a lapse. So this is where a beneficiary dies in the lifetime of a testator. So there are several exceptions to this, but this is the main point. Um, one of the, one of the main reasons that a beneficiary may fail to take the benefit. Another is abatement. This is where there's insufficient assets to satisfy the beneficiaries after the testator's debts are paid off. So, when there's a will, there's a requirement that the testator's debts must be repaid before um, the beneficiaries are given their gifts. So, if the the assets are not there to cover the benefits, then the gifts would fail, right? Then we have something right. called a disclaimer, and this is where the beneficiary decides not to accept the gift, whether it may be he's unable to um to handle the expenses associated with him, or it becomes onerous. It may become onerous to um the beneficiary. Another important one is if the beneficiary is an attesting witness the gift automatically becomes null and void. 
right? So this is um, a very important one, right? We have another that's called ademption. So this is where the assets or property ceases to be a part of the testator's property between the date of the will and the date the testator dies. So okay. it is basically no longer the property of the testator upon his death. So that would be like, for example, and if someone would have if someone would have bequeathed some money in an account and yeah. then they would have spent out all the money. So there's no money there for the person who that money would have been left for to claim. Yes. You were going to say something else. There, there, there's another situation where someone would fail to benefit. Yes, another situation which may happen more often than you think, than you think, where the gift is given for an immoral purpose or fraud, where the person, the testator, is induced by way of duress to give or state this person as a beneficiary is an example of such. Very, very interesting. Another question I wanted to ask you as it relates to when someone dies testing, so someone would have had a will done, um, and okay, they said this is my last will and testament, they appointed someone as their executor and so on. Um, so after the person dies, the executor conducts a diligent search and they come up with a will, or perhaps the will was lodged at the registry of wills, or it was kept for safekeeping, not for safekeeping with the attorney at law, and they now want to obtain probate, right? So that they can be able to be to have full access to everything that was lost, well, that was left for, for them or left as part of the estate in the will. So what is really the procedure for obtaining probate? So when a person dies testate, it means they, they leave a will, right? And in order to get the contents of the will to take effect, the legal process of probate must be done to get a legal document to access the property, right? So we agreed on that. For an estate, estate that exceeds the value of what is considered a small estate, an attorney is um, required to make the application. Therefore, the executor in this case would should visit an attorney who would then in turn prepare the relevant documents and file it in order to obtain the, the grant. Okay, so it would involve the services of, of an attorney. It's not something that an ordinary, um, a layperson yeah. uh, would be able to do for them for themselves. No. Can you let us know some of the documents that would be required to complete a probate application? Okay, so most simply, um, you would need the death certificate of the testator you would need a list of his assets um, and deeds of, of the property that stated. The attorney would create or draft a document called the application for the grant. You would um, have to include an affidavit of the executor, the original will, and a certificate of search. And that's, that would be the basic documents you would need. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And can you just tell us a bit about letters of administration with will annex? And what sort of scenarios would that be would that be used? Well, for a situation where there no executor is named or the executor is unable to carry out the job of an executor and he doesn't have the capacity anymore to do so, then 
you would have to make an application for such. Question now as it pertains to, to property, because we, we all know that um, property constitutes a large part of, of persons' applications and their wills in terms of what they would leave behind. Um, even though we did touch on earlier that with the assistance of an attorney, they can bring forward other assets and we talked about their stocks and, and jewelry and those other things. But as it pertains to, in the, un, in the unfortunate circumstances, I should say, that a will is not made, generally speaking, how will that property, dealing with the property, of course, as, as let's say that's the only thing the person has left behind. So in the absence of a will, the person did not leave a will. How will that property be divided? Okay, so where it is not um, particularly, particularly stated in a will, the property will mm-hmm. be distributed via what we call the rules of intestacy, right? And this is um, stated in the, the Administration of Estates Act in Trinidad and Tobago, right? So it goes like this, where the person is married with no children, 100% of the estate would go to the spouse, right? But if the person is married with children, it would be shared um, 50% of the property to the spouse and the other 50% would be shared equally amongst the children. However, if the person is unmarried but with children, the property would be distributed in equal shares among the children. It goes even further to describe where the person has no spouse and no children. The mm-hmm. property would pass to the parents of the interstate. And obviously, the interstate is the person who dies without a will. If there is no spouse, no children or parents, the estate or property then passes in the following order, right? Which is whole siblings. Uh, if none, if there's no whole siblings, then half siblings. If there's no um, half siblings, then grandparents. Um, then to whole blood, which is um, nephews and nieces. Right. If there's none, then half blood, nephews and nieces. If there's none, it goes on to uncles and aunts. And if there, if that doesn't exist, ex- those persons don't exist at all, it would go to the state. That that makes it abundantly clear as to all of the different ways it could go because I, I had no idea there were so many different examples and situations yeah, that, and circumstances. That was a very thorough exposition, I would say, uh, of the of the law and of the of the status quo with respect to how property will be divided in, in the absence of a will. You know, I think uh, Mrs. Kadar, you really laid it out for us very nicely, letting us know what would occur in those various type of, of situations. So I just want to talk a bit uh, as we are getting ready to wrap up for the scenario where someone dies intestate, as we call it, someone who dies with, without a will. What I'd like to know is who would be the proper person to apply for the grant? Because, okay, if, if the person had a will, it would, it would be the executor, right? But someone dies intestate, there's no will. How... Is a family now going to determine, okay, who is going to be this person to step forward and apply for the grant? So the person to apply for the grant um, would be known as the administrator, right? And under the Wills and Probate Act, Section 30, it 
dictates the order of preference as to who would be the appropriate administrator. So it would start with the surviving spouse. And when I say su- surviving spouse, even though um, they may not live together or they are separated, but once they are divorced, they will still be considered a surviving spouse and the first person in line to make the application. Second in line, there would be it would be the next of kin. And when I say next of kin, it would be the children of the deceased, and this includes adopted children, then two grandchildren or great-grandchildren. When there's no spouse, it will go on to parents and brothers and sisters and follows in the um in a similar line of uncles and aunts and nephews and nieces. Really, really interesting stuff. So the law caters for uh, those situations where someone would have died without a will and it itemizes who would be the people who would be able to apply. So it lays it out sort of step by step. Okay, if not this group of people, then this group of people. And so so it goes. Yes. There's a third option of um, the administrator general if none of those things is possible. Well, this has really been a very interesting discussion. It was a refresher for me, particularly with respect to how can someone fail to benefit under will? Because yes, I will maybe drafted and so on, but there are also situations where someone may, may fail to, to benefit. And one of the instances that occur quite commonly is where a beneficiary is an attesting witness or where um, the assets no longer exist. Someone would have made a will and then these assets are no longer able to be distributed. So at this point in time, I just want to give you, Ms. Kedar, an opportunity to say your final words, give a shout out to anyone you may like, and then I'll ask Leonardo to give his final words. Okay, well, I would like to thank both you, Mr. Dinoon and Mr. Torres, for giving me this opportunity to share my knowledge and to be a part of your program. I appreciate it very much, and I will continue supporting your program, and um, thank you thank again. You. Great having you, Mrs. Keda. Leonardo? Yes, Ms. Kedar, it was really a, a pleasure to have you here today. And I, and I really like that you were able to really spell out for us in very, very um, clear terms all of the situations that can arise with a will, without a will. And I really am happy to have you as our guest here today. And I'm very, very delighted that we would have had this conversation on such an important topic as wills. And how important it is, and of course, procedures and all of the things that we spoke about. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, our listeners would have benefited from that very, very enlightening information. So folks, that has brought us to the end of another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. Mrs. Kedar, I'd like to sincerely thank you for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you and we wish you all of the best in your practice. Remember, folks, to check us out on social media, and we look forward to you tuning in to our next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to thelegalcornerpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.